You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Guys, uh, good afternoon. Delighted you're here. Um, let me just take us on a little journey if I can. Just so often I notice and I see in the, in the, in the Bible, there's these moments where the people of God looked back and uh, as they were able to look back, they were able to look forward with greater clarity. And the Israelites often looked at these moments in their history, especially the moments surrounding um, the deliverance from slavery or the journey through the wilderness, uh, where they would, they would look back to enable them to look forward. And um, in Deuteronomy, Moses frequently, frequently sorry, reminded the Israelites of their past experiences and of God's faithfulness to them. And as they looked at their history, they, it was almost like they were able to gain this, this moment of greater understanding and this moment of clarity of, of God's character and God's promises and all that he had for them. Um, and, and that enabled them and it gave them a mechanism to know his provision for the future and enable to see his leaning and his guidance as they move forward. And uh, the, the moment we're in, and that we're on as a church, so often Steph has reflected to me that it's felt like a similar thing where we often see the Israelites almost picking up their tents and putting down their tents in different places, but they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus as they were led uh, by, a, a, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as he led them. And it's so often, I think, as we look in the rearview mirror, and we look back at his faithfulness that we're then able to look forward with some, some almost like guide or guardrails um, to, to what he has for us as we step ahead. And uh, I guess if I can, I, I, today, this is a slightly unique talk. I just kind of want to do that for us briefly, if I may, for us as a people. That we planted this church in 2016, and it was striking to us at that point how difficult it was to find a venue to meet in. So even the small group that met initially, uh, we met in the flat of a couple who were renting a flat, um, who were in the church at the time, and it was it was above a shop, and it actually felt really precious. It kind of felt like I've often wondered what it would feel like for the disciples in that upper room. It kind of felt like one of those moments, and we uh, quite quickly outgrew that space and we were able to meet on one of the the main trunk roads as you go into the city and we met in this um, restaurant called the Rampant Lion and I still love the name of it I'm like would it be that the Lion of Judah is on the move in the city but as you walked in you kind of had two lions either side of you and it was kind of quite confronting and exciting um, but we had to fully set down the restaurant to, and, and I literally mean everything, like tables, tablecloths, knives, forks, menus, plates, glasses, the whole thing, to set up church, to then set down church, to then reset the restaurant. And um, in those days, whilst it was hard work, it was really precious. And the favor of God was on us in that place at the time. Actually, even just during worship, I was just found myself reflecting how close it felt that the Lord was. There was like, there was no barrier between us and him. It was like something of heaven was touching earth which is again what I felt this morning and the favor we had was that even the people who own the restaurant would would run round after church while we were resetting giving the kids lollipops and uh, it was just one of those like what is going on here um, but we quite quickly outgrew that space and finding the next space 
um, which actually turned out to be the Dean Trust, where many of you will be familiar with, unless you've joined us in the last couple of weeks. Finding that place was really, really hard. Um, we tried over 120 venues, and so many people said no to us, and some actually quite surprising. They just wouldn't accommodate us. And it kind of felt like one of those moments where it was like, there's just no room at the inn. You know, it's like, we're just trying to do a good thing here, and no one will have us. And um, when you're getting a bit desperate and you're bursting at the seams of the restaurant that we were in, we also, interestingly, kind of started to just see the favour of God come off us in, in the restaurant that we were in. It's just started to wane slightly. And I, I did this talk one Sunday, and I called it, This is Going to Cost Us Everything. And uh, I partly did it because we did find a venue, and it was going to be a pub, uh, and it wasn't like bad, it was like bad, bad. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to put my feet on the floor of this place, let alone see children crawl around on it. I actually think it was so bad, they've now actually knocked it down, it's been completely flattened. But we didn't have many options, and so what we did was a talk called This Is Gonna Cost Everything, and we took an offering. And we said, rather than spend the money that's given on ourselves, we're going to give it away. And we're going to serve the people of the, of the city and some of the needs that we were becoming aware of. And we were going to use it to help us uh, facilitate paying somebody a day a week to push us into serving the city. And um, part of that was steadying ourselves and coming to the realization, guys, this is only bricks and mortar. Let's remember we're the church. It's not the building. And during that week, and we were quite a small group of people at that time, people gave a staggering £17,000. And um, what I find remarkably interesting to this day is that preceding week, so after, before I told the church the amount they'd given, uh, they'd already given it, the Dean Trust, which is the venue we were just in, they phoned us up and they said, would you like to meet for your church in this school? And I said, well, yes, actually, we would. But can I just clarify, we've spoken to you three times. And each time you said no, so we would, but are you sure? And, and they said, well, we have no recollection of a prior conversation or of ever saying no. And we pretty much moved into that space straight after, and it became our Sunday home. Now, what we know is, and what we've seen in many places in many cities, is church plants have multiple venue twists. They often move places, and it's actually quite remarkable that we've been in that place for quite a time and quite settled, and it's allowed us to incrementally grow. When we, when we started there, uh, I think we only had one kid's room, and we had no youth work and no creche, and, and when we left, we had over six breakout rooms for all of those things that have grown. But as, as a school, they, um, when we started hiring it, they didn't have anybody who oversee, oversaw the, the bookings or the externally. And what they then did was they, they took a guy on who started to oversee those bookings on behalf of that school. And uh, we started to find remarkable favor. So when we started to grow, he was like, you can't afford it. We're not going to charge you for some of the rooms. I like you and I like what you're doing. Um, what you may not know is for quite a period of time, some of you do know, um, for quite a period of time, the local dynamic became quite tricky, uh, particularly with that school. Whilst we've sought to publicly and always speak well of it, we knew we were losing favour. 
and often at the drop of a hat, things would change. Exam tables would be out, walls would need painting and we'd need to be out or there'd be a snowflake that may just drop somewhere over the city and we'd need to be out. Uh, or the stage would be out and it would significantly reduce the space that we'd have. And um, some of you will remember recently that they, they even put up physical barriers in the areas that we often did things like refreshments. And it kind of felt like metaphorically we're starting to see some, some physical barriers come up that are representing something more. Uh, the car parking would often be in demand with other users. And we were really going on this journey as a, as a leadership team have been fully aware that our Sunday morning space was becoming quite full. And often when you appear at least more than 80% full, you start to become venue bound. And people uh, start to see you as full and even subconsciously stop inviting people. And what, what we didn't realize is at that time, we were about to be freed up for a new season as easily as we just have been. Uh, we didn't want to end where we were because it was a great place and moved to pastures new without something very clear. Now, unbelievably, the fire took us off the hook of making that decision. What unbelievable kindness often you see of the Lord in creating new ways for us to grow. We'd been praying about this for some time and we were starting to feel forced to consider doing two morning services, which I have to be honest, we were feeling forced to do. It wasn't something we were feeling led to do. The school didn't want us to do it and we didn't want to do it because it would change how we relate and interact, particularly at this size of church and it would place a significant demand on our resources and often distract us from being able to give the time and the effort and the energy that we do to the mission that we're on. Now, when a plant outgrows its pot, you replant it in a bigger pot. Initially, that can cause the plant a little bit of shock and you have to intentionally care for it or stake it or water it or whatever it might be. But ultimately, for it to grow and to not stagnate, it needs repotting and now all of this was going on in the background and then as a church we enter this period of time where we're intentionally praying for a number of things one of which includes a building and in that moment a fire takes us out of the building that we were in now I've got to say I don't know about you but even in the natural let alone the spiritual our antennae was up it's like something is going on here we're sensing the Lord trying to speak and in a moment where we may need to move and be attentive and responsive to it the fire takes us out for longer than the school initially say and alongside that and there's lots to this story that I'm not going to share in this setting but the guy that we have favor with at the school resigns and in a conversation with him he says do you think you are seeing the intervention of a higher power now this has been our journey before uh, before we planted the church a guy in a plane came to Steph and I, actually sat next to us, and he says, are you and your wife thinking of starting a church in the north of England? And we're like, what? So somebody who doesn't know Jesus to say that, here we have a guy that we have favor with, that, that we know of, doesn't yet have an active relationship with Jesus. And he says, do you think you're seeing the intervention of a higher power? Now, interestingly, yesterday actually he was texting me saying, uh, we sent him a gift and a huge thank you for all he's facilitated for us. And he said he, came, he dropped to his knees, cried, was humbled, and has started praying 
to the, the, the guy up above. So we'll see where that one goes for him. But I think it's a really interesting process of seeking to house the church after a fire that we've again tried so, so, so many venues that now actually fit a criteria that we've needed to have. Once again, we tried loads of places, actually just short of 70. We're now a slightly larger group that has a number of needs, including the kids and the youth that has grown. And with the needs and criteria, unbelievably, we've only actually found one place that can take us on Sunday mornings. And I have to say, it's remarkable how the favour can come on you for moments like this. Um, I actually find it almost mind-blowing that we've just been singing, we've prayed our prayers and we've made our plans. Two people have come up to me this morning and said, I had a dream, can I just share it with you? And it's kind of signaling and signifying everything that I'm about to speak of. But the head teacher where we're going is excited to have us. The head of facilities has been remarkably accommodating. They have a team on site for Sundays, whereas before we'd have to bring them on site specifically for the Sunday, and that was hard to negotiate, and often the rug would be pulled from us. The place will give us over 200 car parking spaces with exclusive access on site with many in the surrounding area. It will easily fit over double the amount of adults that we were able to accommodate in the previous venue. And in many ways, and in consultation with our team and some of the heads of department, this feels like a God-given stepping stone. Now, maybe due to the uncomfortable, sorry, the comfortable nature of where we were and actually the familiarity that we often find with it, we wouldn't have jumped unless we were pushed. And we have been pushed. It's still unclear as to what may or may not happen with that venue. It looks like they're going to be using an external booking company and it looks like prices will go up by over 20% but we were failing to have an ability to guarantee regularly that we could meet together. We've been repositioned. Now, one of the things I wanna say is some of you will not have given this a second thought. You'll be wonder why I'm taking such lengths to explain it. For some of you, actually, you will find this place will be to nearer to where you live and for various other reasons, this will be an instant win. Others of you will go on a bit of a journey. And I personally feel very passionately about the theology of place. I've heard John and Carol Wimber, who started the first vineyard, talk about that many times. But I remember when we first planted the church, somebody joined us and immediately left us because of all, all of our communication said, love Manchester. And they said, I don't love Manchester. And I would want to say, this, that we learn to love the city because we learn to love the people. Actually, our mandate is very simple, to love God and to love people. And actually, for many of us, we will have subconsciously started de to define that to a set area. Home is where you make it, and in many ways, this is actually a healthy moment of detachment. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, please honestly don't hear me wrong. We loved where we were in Ardwick and Longsight. We knew that God called us there specifically for a time, but we also know that in this moment, he's calling us to physically locate um, Sundays to a different part of the city. I very much hope 
you all plan to come with us. I actually heard it said this week that church alive is worth the drive. And I thought, I'm nicking that. We're having it. Um, you know, when our second daughter was born, we didn't stop loving our first daughter. It shifted a degree of our time, but I can't imagine life without them both. And now seeing them and the interaction between them is nothing but a joy because your love doesn't divide, it multiplies. I also believe we get an opportunity to go to a new area and draw those in there into the heart that we have for Ardwick, but also embrace the bigger narrative of all that God has for us. We get to draw others into our story and into our heart for all that we've started with 422. In fact, in many ways, and a number of pictures have come through, that you're kind of just repositioning the tent pegs, you're extending it. I love the fact that the only permanent thing that we have or have our name to the only bricks and mortar that we have our name to is actually the Ardwick and Longsight area in 422. We'll always have a heart for that area, roots in that area and relationships in that area. But we aren't Ardwick Vineyard. We're Manchester Vineyard. In fact, we have a heart for the whole of Greater Manchester and we've always been seeking to plant into this city and small groups into many areas of this city. It's actually a delight that even recently, two small groups, our latest two small groups, have been planted into that specific area that might not have been if we hadn't have been there as a church. And we now have people on the ground in that area. The joy of a moment as a church like this is often when people join and you realize people join new moments. People join where they can see there's room for them and they can be part of a shared experience rather than feeling that people just talk about the past. Yes, we want to look in the rear view mirror and how faithfully God has been and how kind the Lord has been as we forged forward. But so now we have this remarkable moment to make a big splash. We have a new people to invite and a new people to embrace into the family that we have collectively become. Healthy things grow and healthy things change and new things come about when the Holy Spirit is on the move. With any new thing there can be and there often is this sense of trepidation but also the steady and assurance that the Lord is with us and regardless of our decisions, we didn't actually have a decision to make on this one. The same thing happened when we ended up at the Dean Trust. We had no other option. And regardless of anything else, I would say the role that Steph and I long to take with this church and be faithful to it and to you is the posture of fully understanding and realizing the responsibility we have to be faithful to the Lord and his leading and listening to his voice. Jolts aren't always bad things along the way. I believe this is another stepping stone in our story. Unbelievably, whilst a larger space, particularly for the adult space, is actually going to overall cost us slightly less. And whilst it's only fractionally cheaper, than we are paying. There will, of course, be added costs in the transition and all that it entails. I know some of you will ask, so if we're using another school, what's been all the praying about for a building? Well, this is an added twist. We didn't expect to jump into 2024 with this change, but we do certainly feel steadied 
in the knowledge of knowing the Lord's clear leading in it. We've shared in the last few vision talks with you that we're looking actively for a midweek space and even going on that journey could open up an option that would include Sundays. There's a few notable, notable things to mention in a journey for a building. What's really fascinating is actually the Ardwick area is very limited in options. Buildings are often spoken for or involve incredibly large sums of money. Whilst we and I and collectively us as a church, I believe we have faith, some of them would be reckless and a bad decision that could cause us real problems in the days ahead. There is the odd plot of land that we'd identified, but again, we're talking many, many, many millions, or they're already spoken for. Some have felt like it would take a miracle and, um, and actually they haven't come to anything or they've just fizzled out. I don't think it's necessarily healthy to take you on the full roller coaster of every conversation and every opportunity. But I would say this, we still have a number of irons in the fire and we will keep pushing doors in faith to see how the Lord leads. The interesting thing with God opportunities and potential doors is you only have to push one and it opens to suddenly be in a new position and a relocation in this next part as our Sunday journey is just part of that journey. It's part of expanding opportunities, possibilities, and allowing God to speak. Now, whilst this next step feels like a stepping stone, we are delighted that on Sundays, as of next Sunday, we're moving back to mornings at 10.30, and we're all able to say morning rather than morning when it's the afternoon. Um, and we're going to be at St. Bede's College. Don't worry, you don't need to jump on Google Maps now. We'll send stuff out. But it's just south of Mossside. It's another area of great need around Warley Range. It's a large space for us. It is actually a slightly posher space for us, but beggars can't be choosers. And we know God has repositioned us. We will, I would suggest, be there for some time. I would also suggest this will be a stepping stone. We will consider and continually look for other options for a midweek space and indeed a building of our own. There are often in these moments opportunities, and I think there's three that are really presenting themselves. Firstly, we have a new area in which to invite people. We intend to be quite intentional about that. We have a moment, and I would encourage us to consider it. The first few months, the first few weeks are amazing invitation moments and opportunities. The second is this, as we expand and the church will have space to expand, we'll need to grow the teams. The space for you, the car parking team alone will need to grow. We will need to launch a van team. As at least initially we're going to need to take our kit in and out each week, there's moments for people to get involved and there's moments for people to take ownership and find places to serve and facilitate all that the Lord is doing among us. Many of you will have sat on the edge, and these are jump-in moments. Many of you will be very new and wondering how you jump in. These are jump-in moments. The car parking team alone get this moment that is so delightful to create the sense of welcome and value for those that come along. The third opportunity I want to say is we have always and often would encourage people to come 15 minutes early and leave 15 minutes late. 
new people come early and need to meet the community that we are because we're changed in that community. New people will need to see your faces and your familiarity. We need to be there to meet them, to welcome them, to form relationships with them. But it's also so easy to get ourselves in the rhythm of coming late. But isn't it Ultimately, we want to be a people that worship Jesus. We want to collectively enter his presence and worship him. And we're changed as we do so. And we use these moments as a reset. This, I believe, is an exciting adventure and next step for us as a church. Last week, for those of you that were here, we looked at Mark chapter 4. And in verse 35, it says this, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. As they journey across the lake, there's this huge storm that arises and the disciples feared that they'd drown. Jesus was asleep in the boat and it says, verse 38, the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. Verse 39, Jesus said, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. We looked at that last week, how Jesus had said that they were going to go to the other side, and yet there was a great resistance. If you roll into Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, it says this. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gennesaret, where Jesus climbed out of the boat. A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves, and nobody, and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Crossing a now calm Sea of Galilee, Jesus and the twelve arrived exactly as he said they would. And when they arrive, they see Jesus set to work, freeing somebody from an evil spirit in one of the most dramatic deliverance passages in the Gospels. We don't have time to fully reflect on that passage today and all the ins and outs and the things we can glean. But it says this in verse 3, this man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. We see in that passage, Jesus frees him because that's the business that Jesus is in, setting people free. And then we read in verse 15 that now he is sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Fully clothed and perfectly sane. No matter what you might have come up against or faced in your life, no matter what you feel bound by or restricted by, Jesus is in the business of setting people free. Often when we are about to step into something and encounter a season of growth or the Lord moving powerfully, we will face resistance. Some of you will have faced recently unexpected, unbeknown storms. Some of you will have had almost the enemy putting hooks in your heart with people, what people say and how they say it. I want to say this, we're going to the other side. We're going to the place God has sent us to, getting on with the mission of the kingdom to do the stuff he calls us to do. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. 
But Jesus said, no, go to home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. As we have gone on the journey of being a church community where God has formed us, shaped us, and changed us, the natural overflow, the commission Jesus gives us is to go and to share that with others and to invite them to discover him. One of the challenges that we often face, I think, is we're so battered and bruised along the way ourselves that it kicks the stuffing out of us. Wider than that, it's so easy to get into a rhythm of life or a rut or a routine and normality where sometimes we get shaken or jolted. And honestly, that's not always a bad thing. I actually think sometimes, even recently, collectively, we've been in one of those moments. But this is an opportunity moment where we get to tell everyone what the Lord has done for us, how he's changed us, how he's forming us, and how they can know that too. The power of invitation is remarkable. And in the moment we're in, it has a rich potential to draw others in. We follow Jesus out of our personal deserts and into the harvest. Jesus was never content to go off alone just constantly and solely with the small flock of followers that he had and remove himself from the rest of the world around him. We're going to the other side. Why? To reach and save the lost, to set the captives free, with the life-changing truth and power of Jesus. We often see his power, but his power with and for a purpose. We have to do something with it. We seek to live out the prayers we pray by rolling up our sleeves and serving the needs of others. I pray that we would never become so comfortable with what we have and who we are that we forget that we're called to go and give away the same good news that has so radically transformed our lives. Jesus says to the guy, you're freed, go and tell everyone. Paul says a similar thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5. He says this, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work hard at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. The disciples in the boat could have been deterred by the storm that swelled up, but they still go to the other side. For all that's coming for us as a church, there will have been for some of you many, many, many storms trying to deter you. Many. Some of you to even actually take you out of church community, take you out of relationship and disciple-making environments with others. Sometimes there is nothing we can do to fix the situation we're in. But I'd encourage you instead, and rather than be discouraged or even surprised by difficult days, that we'd learn to be at peace and persevere with all that he's called us to. Paul is saying to Timothy, develop the unswerving, unwavering faith that can only come by standing for long periods in the fiery flames of God's presence. Following Jesus can be hard, but we look at Jesus. Three years into the project, someone 
who wants everybody fully appreciated and they hung off every word that he said, there they are trying to crucify him. Paul says to Timothy, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. I think that's Paul's way of saying to Timothy, hey, listen, listen. It can be, honestly, the Wild West out there sometimes. Get your head screwed on. Don't get taken out by the pains and the challenges of life. Get yourself at the feet of Jesus as often as you can. And as a result, crack on with the ministry that Jesus has given you. You're not giving away your stuff. You're giving away the gems and the pearls and the wisdom of life that have been given to you by the Spirit and by lingering in his presence. And as you linger there long enough in the presence of God, you'll get them and he'll give you enough to give away. That's my paraphrase of that passage. Is really, Paul says, work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry of God. This, honestly, I believe is such a stirring moment for us. Our boundaries have been extended. For some of you, even in the last few weeks, you will have found yourself caught up in the story of this church. I know that, even just chatting with some of you this morning, things are happening. Some of you will have even joined us in the last few weeks for this moment as he draws you into the body and the army for all that's ahead. Some of you will have felt an activation. Some of you will have felt an agitation. And now you're starting to realize why. The majority of times that the Holy Spirit comes in power in the New Testament were linked to boldness and courage in sharing faith. I pray as we step into this new chapter together that the power of his presence comes in new ways for the purpose of emboldening us and to give us courage for all that is ahead for us, to share our faith and to extend the kingdom. Acts 4.31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and then they preach the word of God with boldness. We'd be mindful of the moment that we're stepping into is actually the moment we've been praying for. 2 Chronicles 7.14, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple, set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. In many ways, I think we're just at the start. But as we sang a moment ago, I wonder if, Susie, if you're still around, I wonder if we could re-sing it now. We're still believing that you're moving today, that you're here with us. Help us see what you're doing. We don't want to get in the way. I feel like this is a, almost a song of our moment. We've prayed our prayers. We've made our plans. But if, if, if you're not in it, we don't want it. Isn't that it? If he's not in it, we don't want it. Oh God, would you move and heal our land. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Why, in fact, why don't we stand? Is that right? If we, let's stand and just sing that again. And then we'll, we'll see what the Lord wants to do. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org 
or follow the link in the podcast description.